The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And after he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among their villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. And if it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so that we can get them checked in. Good morning. If this is your first time, my name is Jared. I'm also on staff here at Restoration Southside, and we are delighted that you came here with us in the middle of such a storm. Before we dive in, a couple of things. I have the sniffles, so you're going to hear this a lot during the sermon. <clears throat> Aaron caught me after the first sermon and said to encourage me, but then also said, hey, blow your nose right before the second service. And then don't sniffle anymore. And if it runs out, it just runs out. She forgets that I have a high-definition camera staring straight at me. And those 35 people don't want to see all that mess. So you're going to have to hear some sniffing. Um, The other thing that I want to tell you before we dive in here is that uh, this whole thing about two tunics, it says don't wear two tunics. So obviously that applies to you. So you need to leave your coat here. And you're that immediately get rid of it. Uh, no, this passage is is fascinating one because Jesus, for those of you who have been with us walking uh, the path of Jesus, he has uh, calmed a storm. He healed a demoniac. Uh, then he helped someone who was bleeding for twelve years and healed them. Then he raised somebody from the dead, and then he shoots home for the weekend. To his hometown of Nazareth. And the welcome is not what he, excuse me, the welcome is not what we would expect. So let's um, pray and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. 
I pray, God, that your spirit would be powerfully at work. That there would be life brought into this room where it only feels like death. Hope brought into this room where it only feels like despair. God, would you move? We ask that you would. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. An older favorite movie of mine is called A River Runs Through It. It's got Brad Pitt in it, and uh, it's about a story about Missoula, Montana. And the reason that I tell you this is it's the whole uh, point of the movie is about the relationships and life of a small town. And one of the things that's really important in Missoula, Montana is fishing. It's just gorgeous. The cinematography from the movie is amazing, uh, but fishing is really important to the story. And at one point, the, um, this kind of guy who's out partying late, he's supposed to meet the two brothers to go fishing with them the next day, and he shows up really, really late. And Brad Pitt and his brother are just waiting for him, ready to go. It's a very sacred thing for them to go fishing. When he finally walks up, Norman, Brad Pitt's brother, says to him, Neil, <clears throat> you're late. And he said, yeah, 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 I didn't get in until really late. Brad Pitt, who plays Paul, says, well, I didn't get in at all, but I was still here. He said, Neil, in Montana, there are three things we're never late for, church, work, and fishing. Church, work, and fishing. I'll tell you that story because small towns often have their own personalities, their own spoken and unspoken rules. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes small towns can have this sense of attitude. If something doesn't fit into our perspective, if something doesn't fit into our little system, it must be wrong. And here we're going to get this picture of Jesus' small town, his home. He has just literally raised a little girl from the dead. And we can't even say they didn't know about it. News was traveling fast. It says right here in the text, where did this man get these things? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And so it's not the sense that they haven't heard about who this guy is. They just don't like it. They reject him. He's making a name for himself outside of their town, outside of their control, and they don't like it. And so they have an attitude towards him and they reject Jesus of Nazareth. And I know it seems like such a small vignette, but honestly, his family has rejected Jesus. His small town here, Nazareth, will reject Jesus. Then the Jews will reject Jesus. And you and I are in a world that still rejects Jesus. So we're going to look at what it means to reject Jesus we're also going to look at how rejection actually fuels the gospel. Rejection fuels the gospel. So let's look at Jesus as he re-enters this small town together. Verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? 
What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. You think the Gospels are the story about how everyone just kind of falls in love with Jesus, but the, the crowds around Jesus get smaller and smaller and smaller until the very end when it's just him. It's not about how he's getting more and more popular, it's about how he is rejected. And again, this, this group of people heard his authoritative teaching in the temple. They have heard about the mighty works done by his hands, but to them, they just dismiss him. Isn't this Mary's son? They're motivated by distrust. They have this attitude of opposition. Did you hear it in here? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? In that time, in that culture, you would never identify a son by his mom. It wasn't done. Even in the way that they're kind of reminding themselves of who he is, they're throwing shade on him. Oh, isn't this the guy who we're kind of unsure who his dad is? That story from way back where Mary was engaged and had a baby. and Isn't this that guy? We're not really sure who his dad is. Instead of embracing Jesus, they, they reject him. They're motivated by distrust and an attitude of opposition. In fact, it's not just where they throw shade on his mother. Think about his brother. Just a few chapters earlier, James, it says it right here in the text, James. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him and said, he is out of his mind. So his own family thinks he's crazy and his own hometown won't embrace him. They reject him. A couple of things I want you to see in that. First of all, if you yourselves have been rejected, if you know what it's like to feel like someone looked at you, sized you up, and then decided not to love you, someone saw all that you could bring to the table and said, no thanks. Jesus is acquainted with rejection. Jesus knows what it's like to experience rejection. He is the Savior for those of us who have had our backs turned. Excuse me, had someone turn their backs on us. But I also want to give hope for those of you who have encountered Jesus and then walked away. Think about his brother, James. Little brother James comes to get big brother Jesus who's acting crazy. And throughout the course of the Gospels, James has almost no positive motion towards his big brother Jesus, his own brother. You know James had been tired of hearing, well, that's not what your big brother Jesus would have done. And he rejects him, and he rejects him, and then ultimately we see that James finally believes in his brother, finally, finally comes to grips with the fact that his brother is who he says he is. James becomes the most important Christian in Jerusalem. James writes the book, literally the letter, self-titled letter, James. So if you have encountered Jesus and rejected him and said, I'm not sure I'm interested, I'm not sure I want that, you can come back. 
You can come back. Certainly his own brother did. But you see the story of Jesus is not the crowd swelling around him. They're getting smaller and smaller. Jesus is the Savior of those who are rejected. But they took offense at him. They have no faith that he is who he says he could be, that he is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do. And I want us to see this too. Look at this. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? You can stand in a crowd and be astonished by Jesus, and then in that same crowd, be offended by Jesus and walk away. Meaning you can come to a church, engage in church life your whole life, and not actually follow Jesus. Proximity to Jesus doesn't always mean you are following Him. Jesus is rejected by His family. He's rejected by His hometown. You can be near Jesus and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're following Him. And there are some of us who reject Jesus And it's not our fault that we do. We've been handed down a system, half-truths about who Jesus is and what Jesus will do. And and when we encounter that system, we, we feel like Jesus is going to reject me. I'm not enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not good enough. I didn't play by the right rules. And he's going to reject me? No, forget that. I'm going to reject him before he ever gets his hands on me. And friends, especially us millennials and Generation Z, Those who are so good at rejecting, opposing, critically suspicious of everything. It's right to reject something, but don't just reject Jesus. If you need to reject the system, reject a religious system that was set up for pretty good people. Reject it as a means to self-improvement. Reject it as a means to measure yourself against others. Reject it as a means to politically align. Reject it as a means to deal with bad habits. Reject the idea that Jesus will only love me if I come and clean myself up before I come. Reject it. Somehow our system got so protective of Jesus, of what he says and what he doesn't say, that we have postured ourselves wrongly, that it seems like we, we reject people. That's not what Jesus does. Listen to this. This is just a smattering of Jesus saying, you're safe with me. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He says this, come to, you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen to this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Or how about this from Romans? If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not this long, nuanced list of complicated things that you're never going to come up with. 
as Scripture says this. Listen to this verse. Anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. You ever been put to shame? You ever been exposed? That you come up short? That you're embarrassed? That who you are doesn't shed a whole lot of positive light on your story? Well, it says anyone who comes to Jesus will never be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How about this from John 6? Everyone whom the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never send away. Revelation 22, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, let anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. How about in the Old Testament, Joel? But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't you possibly throw Jesus out with the bathwater. Jesus opens wide his arms and says, you come, come as you are. I know you're not together yet. I know you're still a mess. I know you're still sinning. I know you're still suffering. Come and drink freely. Come as you are. You're safe here. Come as you are. And somehow we have let the systems of our faith cause people to say, stay away. Stay away, you're in danger. Stay away, you're not ready yet. Stay away, you're a mess. That I want you to reject, but don't reject him. And it says he could do no miracle. A prophet is not without honor in his hometown. Look at that. Marnie and Ben and I were talking about that this week as we looked at the text. And it said, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. It's almost as it seems like Jesus is out of divinity juice. And it won't work in Nazareth. But that's not what he's saying. Sinclair Ferguson says this, he could not do any miracles, not in the sense that he was physically impossible. For he did heal some sick folk. But that would have been morally and spiritually inconsistent. Listen to this. Where the kingdom of God is rejected, it is inappropriate for the king to share its new life and joy. They're not the only ones amazed. Jesus is amazed because of their unbelief. Jesus marveled for their unbelief. It's not that Jesus couldn't do any miracles. This idea that you reject me outright. You say I'm not who I say I am. I can't do what I say that I'm setting out to do. You reject me outright. He says, I'm not going to bring all of this life and joy to you when you won't even consider me on my own terms. Yes, there are things you can reject, but don't reject Jesus. The one who says, come, come. But I also want you to see this. The rejection drives the mission. Rejection actually fuels and drives the mission. Here's what I mean. Look at this. Verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. And he called out the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He comes to his hometown and they reject him. And he says, that's fine. We're going to go to all the other towns. Don't think for one second that Jesus isn't in, interested in those who are far off. He sends the mission off of the ones who no one else can recover. I thought of this illustration that he uses 
in a different gospel this week. Listen to this. When one of those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. They're comparing being with Jesus and being in his kingdom at being in a big, fun feast of a wedding. And Jesus says this, A certain man preparing a great banquet invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited, Come, come, for everything is now ready. But they alike all began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. Listen to this. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and to the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads, into the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus is not indifferent to whether or not people come to him. Jesus is not distant or apathetic. Jesus says, I'm throwing a party and I want everyone to come. And if the significant, important people can't bother themselves to come, I'll have everyone else. I'll fill my house with outcasts and insignificant people. Well, friends, if you feel like you're too insignificant to be invited to Jesus' party, that's exactly who he invites in. When someone says no to Jesus, there are always others who will say yes. So Jesus keeps them moving. Go, guys, go get them. Go get them, bring them in. And just a couple of notes here on how he sends them out. There's stuff in here that applies to us, generally speaking, and there's stuff in here that was specific to his disciples at that time. Meaning, I don't think it's really bad if you have two tunics here with you this morning. But he's sending them out in his authority. It's like they're, they're the ambassadors. They're supposed to go and take the word of Jesus out to people. And they're supposed to do it urgently. Urgently. That's why they don't take a bunch of stuff with them. Because when they arrive in town, they're supposed to expect the hospitality of others. And the reason that they're not going to carry much is it reminds them, though we have been given power by Jesus, we're still dependent on Jesus and on others. And it also means that they didn't show up with this, this huge U-Haul worth of stuff because they wanted to communicate by their very presence, we're going to share this and we're going to keep moving. We have people that need grace. We have sinners that need forgiveness. We have left and lonely, left out people and lonely people who need to be brought in, so we're going to keep moving. That's why this traveling light thing comes up. The disciple, you were supposed to think, ooh, those disciples, they made it here to town. They're not going to be here long. We need to make up our minds about what they're saying. And why do they say this funny thing? When you move into a house, stay at that house until you leave town. There's a couple of things there. The, the sense of urgency, they're not there to just kind of make friends and, and do social calls and social visits. But Jesus also is protecting his disciples from looking like, 
oh, I stayed at this one house, and that, they served bread, and it was pretty good, but this other house, I've got my own private suite and a pool, and I can hang out by myself late at night. He wants his disciples to not be charged with the fact that they're taking advantage of others. The whole thing is supposed to be about simplicity, as one commentator has said it, and urgency. Why so urgent? It's because these people need saved. These people need forgiven. How are we as a church acting urgently for the sake of Christ? How are we being singular in our mission? One commentator said this, Jesus, it seems, was doing three things. Gathering support, giving as many people a final chance to repent before the great moment came, and preparing the ground for the very different work that would take place in the aftermath of the great catastrophe. Jesus is getting support together. He's giving people a chance to experience His grace and forgiveness, final chance to repent. Excuse the sniffles. And he's getting people ready for the fact that he's about to die. And everything's going to look really different from here on out. So he sends these guys out to go heal and to go preach and to go be his ambassadors. Say, go get them. The world needs rescuing. What about this shake the dust of your feet? That seems pretty critical. If anyone will not receive you, they'll not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Watch this. It's really cool. So when Jews were near Gentile territory, they would go into territory for trade or for business. And when they would leave Gentile cities, it was the Jewish tradition to literally shake the dust off the bottom of your feet. And what you were saying is, man, I'm glad I'm leaving Gentile territory. They're dirty and they're far away from God. And Jesus sends his fellows into Jewish territory. Jewish territory. And if they won't listen to the good news about Jesus, then they're supposed to conclude that the insiders are actually on the outside. That the ones who won't take Jesus seriously, those are the ones who are unclean and far away from God. And he flips it on its head. This is what I want you to see. The story of Jesus is, at its outset, maybe in the way we kind of think about it, it seems as if this guy from Nazareth slowly growing in support and growing in support until, until there's just his fans and his followers bursting from everywhere. But by the end of Mark, he will be by himself. His best friends will have seen what it's going to cost them and they're going to turn and disappear into the night. And his father, his father, sees him bearing the sins of the world and turns and walks from him for your sake. You see, Jesus is rejected so that you never will be. Jesus is rejected so that you never will be. Jesus gets get kicked out of the family so that you get to be brought in. I have five children. Cohen is my youngest. Youngest by about like three or four minutes, but he's still my youngest. And he's all boy. 
and he likes to wrestle and play and be tough and fight. But he's also super sensitive. And if he gets in trouble, if I say, Cohen, you need to go to your room and wait for me. I'm going to come talk to you. He marches up the stairs and he says, I don't want to be in this family anymore. He's four, by the way. I don't want to be in this family anymore. I don't want you as a daddy anymore. I want a new mommy, a new daddy. I don't go back up the stairs to get Cohen with a suitcase and say, let's pack your stuff. You're going to have to go find yourself a new family. Instead, I walk back up the stairs and I look at his eyes and I say, I love you. And no matter what you do, I'm never going to stop loving you. Friends, for those of you who have rejected Jesus because of some systems which have confused you or confused all of us about what Jesus is and what he's really like and what Jesus does, if you have rejected Jesus, know that he comes to you in tenderness and says, you're not going anywhere. You can always come back home. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. He says, I know you want it out of this family, but you've always got a spot with me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Sometimes the system has made us think differently about who you are and what you're about. So we've rejected you so that you don't have time to reject us. But we remind ourselves that you're the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary. You're the one who says, go and find the people farthest away and bring them in. Father, we accept your welcome. We ask that you would cause us to be the kind of welcome to those in this city who are the furthest off, feel the least welcome. I pray that they would experience the welcome of Jesus through our arms. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. To those in this city who are the furthest off, feel the least welcome. I pray that they would experience the welcome of Jesus through our arms. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.